What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> you guys want to just jump into it? Heck yeah. Go ahead and get it started. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I sure hope this drought eases. <laughs> and today we have two guests with us, um, kind of a, a substitute here at the last second because we had one person who was going to be a guest that could make it. But with us, we have Joe Clemens. And Joe, you're the CEO and co-founder of Strategic Digital Services, correct? Correct. And more important to our point, the producer of Wildtail. Exactly where we're going to go with this. And then sitting next to you, we have Jack Reed. Yep. And Jack, you're on the same team as Joe. You work for Strategic Digital Services. Most days we're on the same team, yep. And you, you tagged <laughs> in for Kip Adams, who's yep. with NDA, National Deer Association. That's who we were going to sit down with today. Uh, uh, Kip and, and Joe, lucky to have Jack here to sub in for, for Kip because unfortunately his flight was completely canceled from what I hear, right? Yeah. So yeah. that really stinks because yeah, that that, there was something going on. What brought you guys to town that was also going to bring him to town? And it sounds like he's going to miss it now. But tell me a little bit about why you guys are here. Or actually, let's back up a little bit. What is Strategic Digital Services? What do you guys do? So what our business does primarily is consulting, marketing for generally state government agencies. Okay. How we ended up here uh -huh. is one of uh, my interests and passions, one of Jack's interests and passions and some other folks on our team is the outdoors okay. space in conservation. We had done some work with the National Deer Association uh, going back probably two and a half years now mm -hmm. and the uh nda got started leading a project called the southeast deer partnership mm -hmm. and this is where kip adams gives a really good description mm -hmm. of, of the is. southeast deer partnership and its importance and i will do my best impression yeah having heard kip yeah give his pitch insert kip here insert <laughs> kip here yeah. uh so what would kip say so southeast deer partnership mm -hmm. is a is a coalition of 13 wildlife management agencies in the southeast okay. of which kentucky is one of those partners mm -hmm. along with the u.s fish and wildlife service mm -hmm. who partnered together to fund three phases for a project with the goal of raising awareness of how important the white-tailed deer is for funding conservation mm -hmm. not just in the southeast region but in in the entire united states and we'll get into North American model, I'm sure, mm -hmm. a, a little bit, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So, phase one of that was what is thought by everybody involved to be maybe the most extensive research ever done on the economic, sociological, and ecological impact of the white-tailed deer in the United States. Yep. Which we have an article in front of us uh, from Kentucky Field Magazine that points out that it wasn't so long ago, and many of our uh, parents and certainly grandparents' lifetimes, there really were no deer yeah. present mm -hmm. in Kentucky and huntable populations. You hear that when you talk to old timers, people who were hunting back in the, people who were basically growing up in the 60s, 70s, people born in the 50s. Um, you always hear them talk about they never saw deer. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw deer, you called somebody, you told them about it. When it was you special. It. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It was, And if you, I know people who said, you know, they'd be walking through the woods and they'd just see a deer track and they'd be like, okay, oh this, my God. this yeah. is a good spot to, to put my deer stand. Just seeing one deer track. You know, so it's completely different because now you, you obviously know the numbers because you did this whole production on it, but now there's millions of deer and you kind of take it for granted. And I think people will definitely take it for granted. Like the majority of people today are probably 
under the age mm. to remember when there were no deer. So it's kind of going by the wayside and being forgotten that that's actually how things used to be. So yeah. no, that's a great point. So and you know, not only they are the linchpin mm -hmm. of conservation funding in the United States, yes, uh, and especially in the Southeast, mm -hmm. where we don't have any, you know, what biologists like to call the charismatic megafauna. So mm -hmm. think of mammals over 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. Well, Kentucky, and I'm a native Kentuckian, we're blessed here to also have elk. Yeah. Uh, also reintroduced more yeah. recently in, in everybody's lifetime in this room. Yeah. Uh, so that's phase one. Phase two is where we got brought in, believe it or not, no one brought us in to do uh, detailed economic research, mm -hmm. is let's take what we've learned and develop a message that we can use to communicate. I, I jokingly call it the Yellowstone audience. Mm -hmm. So you think of people that like to watch the TV, sto TV show Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. So they, they're, they're okay with hunting. They may not hunt themselves. Maybe they've had a piece of venison or two. Maybe they haven't. Yeah. But they don't really know why hunting is important or why white-tailed deer hunting is important. So that's your target audience. So that's our target audience. And so we, as far as I know, we made the first piece of hunting conservation content made for a generally non-hunting audience. <laughs> uh, and what we did in that process is said, hey, we think something that might work well for you. And we were proposing our idea among other folks competing for this work was, hey, you could just do an ad campaign. That'd probably be good. You'd probably, But what if you did something with a little more lasting impact, an evergreen piece, a full-length documentary where we tell the whole story from beginning to end. And what we're really doing in that documentary is taking all the research learned in phase one mm -hmm. and putting it together in something that is informative, entertaining, and that somebody uh, like all of us in this room who enjoy hunting and understand mm -hmm. the importance, we would be like, oh yeah, I want to give that to, uh, I, want, I have a friend that I think should watch this, or I think my you know spouse or family member yeah. should, would be interested in watching this. And so that's what we did. Now we're in phase three, which is uh, showing that film, premiering that film. Uh, it will be out for uh, rent or purchase on October the 27th of this year. Okay. Uh, and pre-orders start in another couple of weeks on September 27th, and it'll be generally wherever you find uh, your digital downloads for purchase rent. So Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. So essentially, in a nutshell, <clears throat> phase one, research, economic impact about, you know, and then the restoration, how it took place. I mean, basically all the research you need to do to compile an ad campaign or whatever you're wanting to do with it. Phase two, your team gets brought in, Joe, Jack, and I'm sure you have plenty of, many, plenty of other partners on board with you. And that's about the communication. So how we're gonna communicate all this information, all this research we got through phase one, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea was to build a, a documentary, a full length documentary. I think it's what, one hour in length? Yeah, it's a tight hour. <laughs> it's tight hour. <laughs> yeah. Tight hour. <laughs> and so that was your all's idea and you guys helped pull this off with other partners, NDA. And, uh, and so right now we're in phase three, which like you said, is the premiere, is mm -hmm. get, getting the content out there. And that's why you guys are in town is because we're doing our premiere, Kentucky is today. And that's gonna be at the Frankfurt Historical Society mm -hmm. this, this evening. So you guys flew in and uh, are gonna be joining us for that. I will, I'll be honest with you, I actually have seen, not the final version, but I saw a draft version of the film. And the, the cast of, of characters, like, not characters, cause it's not, Fictional, of course, 
but the the cast of people that you have kind of helping to tell the story and to narrate it is pretty good. Yeah. Clay, Clay Newcomb and Steve Rinella, mm -hmm. and then you have uh, Dustin Lynch narrating. I was going to say it was really important for us to find a, a voice to yeah. narrate it that could not only has a nice voice, a good voice, mm -hmm. um, but also has uh, some uh, some credibility that he brings along yeah. with it. You know, he's got a following. He's got people who who listen to him sing and then also listen to what he says. So it was important for us to not just go out and find somebody to narrate it, but uh -huh. to find the right person to narrate it. So between uh, Dustin Lynch and, and Clay and, and Steve Rinella, everybody knows Steve and, and the industry, right? So you're, you're gaining credibility there with people who do hunt and fish, but you're also getting people who are very well-spoken and who can communicate the message with people who do not. So it kind of sounds like you're, you're, you're being, uh, you know, viewed with or in, you're presenting things in a way that, that gets you credibility with the people who are the diehards, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the people who mm -hmm. really know but you're also presenting the information in a way that is is understandable and is easy to to take in for people who ne aren't necessarily the diehards involved. Is that was that kind of the goal? Yeah, because we are very realistic uh -huh. about is a non-hunter with no interest in hunting or conservation. Are they just going to watch this just on their own, scroll past it, watch it? Probably not. Maybe. We think the movie art is pretty good and mm -hmm. we think the trailer's pretty good. Mm -hmm. But what has to happen there is you've got to have the, the hunters who understand conservation, understand how unique and special mm -hmm. it is for us to be able to hunt white-tailed deer mm -hmm. and other species. Uh, you know, oftentimes walking distance from where we live. Mm -hmm. uh, and how it wasn't always like that, that they see this and like, oh, I want to share this with my friends and family. Yeah. That That's the goal. And so we had to have something to them that makes them say like, oh yeah, that is a great way to say it. Yeah, that is exactly how it works. So not all people who hunt and fish, like trust me, I know plenty of people who hunt and fish who don't understand how conservation works and don't understand the North American conservation model, which I think that this film does a really good job of, of making people understand mm -hmm. or helping people understand this is how conservation works. This is how the funding works. This is why deer are so important to conservation and all the other species that we have, right? Because that's kind of how things are framed a little bit is this is why deer are so important. I've heard the example since we've made this focus on the Southeast that you can think of the white-tailed deer as the uh, college football program Mm -hmm. at a big SEC school, mm -hmm. or in the University of Kentucky's case, the basketball team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the one-off, yeah. They, they fill the stadium, they sell all the gear, mm -hmm. they get people excited about the school, and then the money that generates funds all of the other sports yeah. that go on. That is mm -hmm. what the white-tailed deer yeah. does in the Southeast, and in on most states in the country, aside from states out west with other large game species that kind of split up the attention. But in the Southeast, Midwest, Northeast, it's the white-tailed deer that gets people out of bed to go sit in the tree stand and mm -hmm. buy their tag and go buy all the cool gear and contribute Pittman Roberts dollars mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah, that uh, that's a really good analogy I probably wouldn't have come up with, but it's like the football program that, mm -hmm. that funds, you know, in most cases, all the other programs. You know, mm -hmm. Kentucky's kind of the one-off. Like, I'm glad you, you told me before we started the podcast that you're a Kentucky native. So I'm glad that you know that they're Kentucky, the basketball program. Mm -hmm. it, it's the, mm -hmm. it's the, uh, you know, it's the black swan of the SEC. Mm -hmm. Like everybody else's football, 
Kentucky is basketball, and I try to explain no. that to other people, and they just don't get yeah. how basketball-centric Kentucky yeah, is. At this point in the year, we still believe we're a football school, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we haven't gotten beat down enough to come down to reality yet. Well, and to circle back, not to change the subject, um, but to it. circle back to, like, the North American model and to, to the messaging that's in Wildtail is one of the things we kept coming across when developing it was there have been people who have grown up hunting and grown up fishing and, and been in this environment and learned these things, but they may not necessarily have known where these ideas were coming from, the North American model and how to go about things and the conservation aspect of, of hunting. And that was really interesting to see because the, one of the things that I like about Wildtail is it connects those dots for people who it's kind of got a little bit of something for everybody. If you've mm -hmm. never hunted before, it's got a really great story in about a first-time hunter who, who takes a first deer and yeah. joke and talk yeah, more on that. Um, but, but for people who have grown up hunting or around hunting or have relatives who hunted, they can kind of see the, the, the tracks of why they do the things they do and whether they even know it or not because of you know just generational loss of, of passing that information along. Mm -hmm. This film kind of connects some dots. Even for me personally, connected some dots um, as we developed it. And um, that was one of my favorite things to see so uh it's kind of got a little bit of something for everybody tell me what some of the more interesting because obviously you guys um, even if you're outdoors people before diving into a project like this i'm sure you learn new things right so tell me what were some things that you thought were interesting or that kind of surprised you when you were going through this project and and kind of piecing it together is there anything that, that stands out to you the scale of the popularity of whitetail deer hunting mm -hmm. compared to all of the, if you added up the number of elk hunters, duck hunters, mm -hmm. turkey hunters, sum them all together, you would still have less than half Mm -hmm. of the number of deer hunters that there are. And that yeah. information is included in the film. I, I, if I yeah. remember right, there was a nice graphic or... Well, Kip says it in the film, Kip Adams from India, yeah. he couldn't be here. That's one of his lines. Yeah. <laughs> If you uh, want more Kip, go go check yeah. out Wildtail on <laughs> iTunes today. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that and, and talking about scale, just I don't remember if we were talking about this before the podcast started or not, but um, the, the amount of deer in North America mm -hmm. compared to 100 years ago yeah, yeah. is astronomically different. And that, mm -hmm. for somebody who grew up in a, a family who is a hunting culture, and who has went to high school and everybody was getting out of school and going hunting in the afternoons, right? Mm -hmm. Like to to hear that for kind of said in the way that I think I think Steve says it, like for the first time to hear it put that way, like the it's just not something that was passed along. It wasn't ever like sitting around the you know Thanksgiving table dinner and everybody's like, wow, can you believe how many deer we saw today compared mm -hmm. to how many yeah. my grandfather saw a hundred mm -hmm. years ago? Yeah. Um, just a really eye-opening uh, experience to hear to, to really hear the numbers all put in one place. Um, so that in conjunction with, with what Joe's saying, just the amount of hunters, um, and it's just, a, yeah, um, that was astonishing. And, and I've heard that from a couple other people, too, that they're really blown away by that statistic and then combined with the other statistics that are in there. Just really interesting. Yeah, it's unfortunate how time works, makes people forget some of that stuff. Like even me, if I, hadn't, if I didn't work here and I didn't hear it and I didn't, you know, know who the biologists were who were doing the reintroductions back in the day and see the old footage that we have, then... You know, it'd probably be out of sight, out of mind for me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, just like most people. But I'm I'm 100% on board with you guys that reminding people of the importance of 
North American conservation model to wildlife. And then what you're doing is one further than that. You're telling people this is the importance of this species to the North American conservation model and how that one species really ties into conservation as a whole, right? And even if you're not a deer hunter, I mean, I feel like most people are concerned with conservation, whether they realize it or not. You know, mm -hmm. people enjoy seeing the butterflies and the songbirds and then all those species that <clears throat> benefit from white-tailed deer, right? Mm -hmm. The relationship. Yeah, yeah and right. I think that's that's exactly what I was dancing around earlier is the relationship between those things is is kind of lost. It's not a it's not a storytelling culture, right? Like mm -hmm. hunting is genuinely like other than like check out this big fish I caught the other day and you know, kind of showing off your trophies. Mm -hmm in terms of actually passing that information along, you know, it's kind of not an art that it's gotten around yet. Maybe, maybe we're going to start something here with Wildtail, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, um, absolutely. The relationship between those things is something that really needs some attention. So people understand both sides. Mm -hmm. you know? Elaborate on that problem a little bit more for me, if you don't mind, like as far as, cause I'm, I was following you a little bit there, but I'm not sure I completely understood. So what, where do you think the gap's at and what is Wildtail addressing as far as a communication gap? I personally, um, you know, the things that I've learned as we've worked on this project have been things that have been a part of habits of hunters and, and my family throughout the years. But I was I was never connected. The first time I really got a good look at the North American conservation model was was in this project. Mm -hmm. But we had already been doing those things, but it wasn't it wasn't communicated the why of it. Mm -hmm. So that like storytelling aspect of of hunting and, and the, the culture that it's around it mm -hmm. is deeper than I realized mm. you know i just thought it was habits of hunters but not best practices and something that somebody 50 years ago had put a lot of time and effort into making sure we were doing things the right way mm -hmm. so it was while it was the right way growing up that i was shown from my family i wasn't aware of the the grander scale of how it really is the right way. yeah so probably useful to help illuminate jack's point the north american model itself and mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. counterintuitive genius of it which is through 1900, we just cut, extirpate everything we can get our hands on. It goes into the mm. fur trade. Mm -hmm. The you know that there's this famous picture of buffalo skulls stacked up like a I've huge pyramid. Mm -hmm. Though that those buffalo skulls were actually picked up off the ground on the plains, shipped to Michigan by train mm -hmm. to turn into bone meal. That was hmm. years after those buffalo were dead. They were picking up the, the bones of them to turn them into bone meal to fertilize crops. So we have this d wildlife devastation that sweeps across the continent. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we get you know, famously to the Teddy Roosevelt era, the, the dawn of conservation. And the insight is, well, Europe. What do we have in Europe? Well, they're on your land, you own them. Mm -hmm. In the United States, we decide in North America, Canada and Mexico were part of this because wildlife don't really care about where a border is. They're following food, water, yeah. uh, you know, the rut, yeah, exactly. uh, wherever they want. So is it, it should be a publicly owned asset that's managed for the benefit of the public. Of the public. And so by making it everybody's, mm -hmm. where everybody has, you know, the same access to it, um, the same ability to access it, that ends up being what saves it. And so the funding mechanism for that is when you buy a tag, mm -hmm. it goes back and helps support recovering that species mm -hmm. and especially early on uh, preserving the land for it. Mm -hmm. And then we have in um, hunting what's called Pittman-Robertson, which mm -hmm. is an excise tax 
on uh, ammunition, guns, and other types of sporting gear that's used to hunt. Fish which, bowls and all yeah, kinds of... Mm -hmm. I actually think the fishing one, if I remember, oh, is Dingle Johnson, DJ, I yeah. think. Yeah. And then the yeah. Wild and Bro Amendment in 84 expanded both. Really. Yeah. yeah. Expanded the excise taxes to bring But essentially, money. when you buy gear, you're supporting conservation. And so, in the film, what you'll see is, and I'll tie this back into Jack's point. Okay. We have, in the film, we follow uh, a, a young lady, Scarlett, from Miami. She's an opera singer. She is hmm. not at all the stereotypical uh, first-time hunter. Yeah, yeah. Had she fired a gun? No, yeah. we actually got the first time she fired a gun. Yeah, it's yeah, in the movie. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Mariah, who started hunting, um, you know, it, well into her adult years, is, is mentoring Scarlett on how to hunt. Mm -hmm. And they go hunt, and you see this hunt. Mm -hmm. And then the film, we jump down to southwest Florida, to the basically the Everglades. And we're talking to the coordinator of the Florida Panther program. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, oh, this hunting that's being done up there in North Florida, South Georgia, South Alabama, for deer, is funding the program mm -hmm. to help recover and preserve the panther yeah. in southwest Florida. And this is replicated all over the place for uh, alligator snapping turtles, for various songbirds, for all the little things that don't get a lot of you know attention or love or praise mm -hmm. and so all of those traditions you know jack's mm -hmm. talking about he grew up in north florida where you'd go hunting on thanksgiving and mm -hmm. we're gonna get this deer stand and sit here he's just like oh we're gonna go hunt this deer mm -hmm. is actually tied into this very big um policy ecosystem mm -hmm. that ensures that not only do we have deer we have uh, all the other endangered and threatened species and the songbirds and, and the preserved natural lands that we all value. Yeah, Jack was going deer hunting without ever realizing that it was affecting, you know, Florida Panther research or helping to put some land aside for wildlife management. Or, you yeah, know, or we have no idea. Access that most people don't, that's yeah. true. Don't even realize that <clears throat> that's what they're really doing is mm -hmm. supporting that. And it's not just, you know, like you said, I mean, the monies go towards buying land or um, doing management on lands, also conservation officers, enforcement, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure people aren't, well, you know, doing things to the detriment of the resources, make sure people are kind of following the rules that we all need to follow to keep things working the way they're supposed to. I mean, and then education and outreach also, educating people trying to do what you all are doing here with this messaging, right? Trying mm -hmm. to tell this story and try to make people understand how this whole thing works and why everything's important, what's important. It's an elegant system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't, we don't say this in the movie, but I've said it since in some of the premier's panels. I think it is the most successful piece of policy mm -hmm. we have remaining today in the United States. Yeah, it is it. elegant. The stakeholders that use it fund it. Mm -hmm. And the stakeholders that yeah. use it and fund it share it with everybody, with everybody else, else, regardless of if they're paying for it. And sometimes it they're the objects of scorn and ridicule, yet they're the ones who are paying yeah, the fund. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and we can look at it, we can just look around us mm -hmm. and our culture and our set the policy level. And there's and look, there's certainly conflict in the outdoor mm -hmm. space and conservation. But the one thing I'll say in conservation is at the end of the day, everybody wants a healthy population of wildlife. That's yeah. where we're all trying to get. And even though we have conflicts, it works. Mm -hmm. And it has worked for a century. And you can't mm -hmm. say that about many policy things uh, in the United States. I, in fact, I can't think of anything else that has worked for a century. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. tough, especially with how much everything's changed, you know. 
I mean, because it seems like, uh, you know, technology and just the, the evolution, like my cell phone here. I mean, 20 years ago, this would have been absolutely ridiculous, right? But the North American conservation model has worked through all of that and worked mm -hmm. through, you know, <clears throat> all the, the politics and changes that have happened. So I personally am a huge fan of the North American conservation okay. model. I would not want it to, to be any other way. I like user funded, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and public ownership of, of yeah. you know, mm -hmm. wildlife resources. That's, you know. It kind of keeps revolutionary. It, it yeah. kind of keeps it cleaner right. too. I mean, you know, it's it's always difficult because there's a lot of money that gets tossed around with conservation. Anytime you're tossing that much money, you know, mm -hmm. things can be difficult. But keeping it, like you said, public ownership and where everything is very transparent, I think it's the way to go. No doubt. And user funded. And, I mean, you're certainly in real dollars, and for all of us in this room and anyone listening, mm -hmm. the dollars that go into conservation is. It's millions, tens mm -hmm. of hundreds, but it's big money. Mm -hmm. In terms of, if you think about other policy areas in the United States, yeah. defense, healthcare, social, you run through it. It's really like, and if you look at any state's budget in our yeah. in our group, like it is a very small slice of the pie, mm -hmm. but it yields so, so much, much that yeah. so many people yeah. value. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Ranella, we have this clip in the movie points this out. I think it might be one of the most important takeaways if you are a hunter. It says about 10% of the population hunts. And he has this case that's not clear. It's ever really been that much more mm -hmm. in the last 100 years or so. Mm -hmm. About 10% hunt. And so preserving that model, the policy pieces, what is really happening is it's the 10% of us who hunt maintaining the goodwill of the other 90%. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, that is a mm -hmm. key part of this movie is trying to explain to the 90% of people who don't hunt why this is something that's worth your goodwill mm -hmm. when it comes to, um, you know, supporting policy. Well, not to step on the movie too, but uh, not just explain, but also defend against popular culture's perception yes. of mm -hmm. hunting. You know, yeah. when I said that it's not a good storytelling culture, obviously there's some outliers. Like y'all have done great work here and Kentucky Field and everything, but like in general, popular culture yeah. in the last hundred years has been, it perceives hunting as this extremely large and popular thing but when we sat with Renella, like it was just like no what did you say 10 percent 10 percent 10 percent pretty much pretty much flatlined but you would think you know if you ask anybody it's like oh everybody hunts and there's mm -hmm. over, hunt, over hunting everywhere but that's just not the truth well yeah. the, it's 10 percent of a larger population well, yeah, which obviously. is you know one of the things as hunters everybody kind of knows is you want a lot of people to hunt because mm -hmm. it's it's good overall you just don't want them hunting in yeah. Your <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. So what were your all's like a day to day working on the film, right? What, what was the day in your all's lives looking like? I'm sure that evolved and changed a lot over the course of it, but what were your roles kind of? So, um, I was in, you know, film world, what you'd probably think of as like a producer and executive producer. Uh -huh. Jack did production work. The bulk of the editing work was done by the director, Kirsten Wansock, okay. who um, also may maybe the first full-length hunting film di directed by a, by a, a female, yep. uh, did most of, most of that work. So what we would do is we have, I mean, Jack, how many hours of interviews do you think we have? Oh, 
200, 300. Whoa. I mean, yeah. it is it is a how many a, people were interviewed? I remember obviously uh, the, the Clay and, and Steve Ranella, and then you got Gabe Jenkins at least two dozen mm -hmm. and all at least an hour each. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's it's a it's a deep catalog of information that we can make wild tale to two wild two tale two wild two tale. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. That's why being a you know working in and uh, video myself, I always know, man, you come back with 200, you know, that much content. And uh, the hard part of it is figuring out what to keep and what to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. What to, what so much good stuff here and it looks so great. And yeah, yeah you just got to be very particular. Yeah, and we kind of had the way we wrote a script outline because we had to have that to get Dustin's involvement mm -hmm. for a, somebody of that caliber. They want to see something about what it's going to look like before they sign on. Mm -hmm. So we wrote the outline of the script, but all the interview pieces are just like hold spot for biologist, hold mm. spot for best comment on mm -hmm. uh, fur trade, hold spot for best comment on whatever. Yeah. And so we would get those. And then what we had to do is review all those interviews and who said it best. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, you have some, there's some stud communicators in there, like mm. Clay Newcomb, Stephen, everybody knows they are, they are so good. Mm -hmm. They could give you lines all day long that you could use, but it can't just be all those two folks. So you mm -hmm. got to have other people. And then what yeah. do they say best? So you're fitting these parts of the puzzle together. And then one of the things I think makes this also unique and for hunting outdoor is the way it's edited. It has a very modern approach to cuts and edits and scenes on it. More like you might see on a social media TikTok video than you might see on a traditional piece of broadcast content yeah, no, in terms of how we transition and the humor that's involved in the cuts. Some of that's good too though like uh, <clears throat> kind of has a people need to watch it themselves obviously but it kind of has a storyline flow to it like you're delivering the information in a, in a certain way but you use the female subject that you talked about earlier following her deer mm -hmm. hunt it's kind of like your your timeline mm -hmm. what's kind of setting the pace and that's that's the way I looked at it because yeah. you, you start with her, she's never shot a gun before, right? And then you know you kind of work through step by step throughout the movie. It kind of jumps in, jumps out to her story, and then by the end of it, we, we know we're following her on a deer hunt, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of it's it's presenting the information and giving you the information with these great interviews and, and great graphics and, and great shots, but it's also following the story of a first time deer hunter at the same time. And we kind of have those two things going on. Yeah, and we wove that in there. Yeah. Because for us as hunters, we know we watch a hunting show. We, we know that mm -hmm. you're going to tell me where you're going. Yeah. Then we're going to go there. Then we're going to watch you see if you get something. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to see if you got it. Yeah. yeah. And, and we know that arc and has hunters or even anglers. We're really interested in that arc. Yeah. yeah. We love, I think hunters and anglers really like the process. Mm -hmm. Love the process piece. That's why... Pittman Roberts is so great because there's so much gear that hunters and anglers buy. Mm, no doubt. Um, but for non-hunters, <laughs> you know, especially is we needed a narrative in there. We had to have a story arc where you didn't know necessarily how it was going to end. Mm. We got really lucky with Scarlet's Hunt. Yeah. We were out on my lease and we had planned, I think we had planned to at least have 15 or 20 shooting hours for that. And she got her dough in the first two hours. Good deal. Um, works out well. <laughs> it was <laughs> great. It was perfect. I, I, for, for me, one of my favorite parts of the film, and it, I think it, I heard a lot of positive things about this part after we had the premiere in Nashville uh, two months ago, was when she pulls that trigger 
mm-hmm. at the, towards the end of the film, and she just breathes and she says, mm-hmm. "Wow." Yeah. You know, like that is such like a, a big part of the movie that I feel like brings in you hit the 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 practicalness, the the getting everything planned and everything hunters do and then going out and you like the 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 ritual of it all, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not even so much like a church, right? You don't like, you don't talk a lot in church. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you just go hunting, and you say two words to whoever you're going mm-hmm. out with that day. But you know, like to kind of bring those two things together when she says, Wow, I feel like the film just merges those two things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really like that. No, it's good, you know, and everybody who's a deer hunter and who's taken deer knows that feeling, right? Like they can but I feel like a lot of experienced deer hunters might not give you that wow still. Yeah. You know, it might be an inner monologue. So taking somebody that's their first time, I almost feel like that reaction communicates the message with a non-deer hunting audience better than it probably does if we go watch Steve shoot a buck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he probably has a little bit different external communication because he's done it a hundred times, you know? But seeing that first timer, I feel like that's probably more relatable to someone else who hasn't done it. So that, that probably sells it too. Mm-hmm. You said your lease. Right, I'm gonna take back a second. So she was deer hunting on your lease. Mm-hmm. So you're a deer hunter. Uh huh. Are you a deer hunter, Jack? Uh, I grew up, but grew up I haven't good. haven't as much late. Yeah, I, I love fly fishing now. You love fly fishing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you told yeah. us you live in Colorado. Yeah, so. yeah. Different but, vices these days. Yeah, but it's kind of a good place to fly fish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's alright. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had somewhere I was wanting to go. With Where's that. your lease? Yeah, that's what. Uh, South Georgia. South so Georgia. South of uh, Bainbridge, Georgia. Yeah. And, cool. and I grew up hunting in North Florida, in uh, North the Paint Florida. Handle, kind of just south of the Alabama border. So were you upset about the football game last weekend? <laughs> oh, no. Different <laughs> 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 take on football games. Yeah, I, saw your, I saw your Florida Gator. Yeah, yeah sure. You know, <laughs> what we say in Kentucky, nothing sucks like a big orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Yes, very happy about that. Did we say that? Yeah, we used to. Oh, we used to. Well, when I went to UK, every time we played. I have them. the, the <laughs> lease in South Georgia and then a very small 25-acre piece of property south of Louisville here that my family owns that I hunt. South of Louisville here? South of, which I think is probably more relatable hunting. Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky on that lease in Georgia. It's a big lease, a family friend lets us on. It's fantastic. Like it's embarrassingly awesome to have access to a piece of property like that. Uh, But that, you know, 25 acre property south of Louisville, I think is, the story of that, I think, is the story of how most people, when they get a mm-hmm. chance to hunt, yeah. they're not hunting a big piece of land they share with two or three other guys. They're hunting, maybe it's a small part of a lease with a few other friends. But the work land. that's yeah. done on mm-hmm. that 25 mm-hmm. acres, mm-hmm. I'm more proud of than that big, I think it's about 600 acre lease in South Georgia. And that's mm-hmm. because that 25 acres south of Louisville is on kind of this urban rural interface area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of invasives. We took out the invasives, plant a food plot, can see the deer coming back. So there's something restorative mm-hmm. on a piece of land like that that's being done that isn't hasn't necessarily had to have been done on that Georgia. And there's work done that Georgia plot, but it's a different, yeah. it's much more intimate on a smaller plot like mm-hmm. that. And much more exemplary of how a deer hunter with 25 acres can somehow spend so much money for mm-hmm. across so little land. No, that's perfect though. I love it. I mean, those small tracks, you're right. I mean, the first deer I ever took was five acres, you know, got permission on five acres. And, mm-hmm. But 25 acres south of Louisville is all you need. There's mm-hmm. some really good deer hunting in that. I mean, I'm not sure if you're talking about Boulder like- County? 
yeah. Jefferson or Bullet. Bullet, County. yeah. That whole area is Like great. just mm -hmm. south of Jefferson Forest. So you go mm -hmm. south of okay, Jefferson yep. Forest, yeah. kind of to the west of Shepherdsville, yeah. kind of tucked in there. Yeah, so you're, you're between Fort Knox and Jefferson Memorial Forest yep. and Bernheim, and you're tucked mm -hmm. in that area. That's a great area. What were you going to say, Jack? Oh, I was just going to say there's a country music song in there somewhere. 25, mm -hmm. 25 acres south of Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think they, they would, they probably wouldn't use Louisville as a <laughs> you know, Just trying to connect with their audience. Mm -hmm. soon. It'll be the theme song to Wild Tale, too. You know, but it's the, you know, the back 40 story. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think that people take, I think real, people really enjoy working on a piece of property like that, too. Something that it can, can be managed by a person. And, mm -hmm. and that is something I think non deer hunters really don't know about yeah. is um, my joke about deer hunting. I only got into it a few years ago. I hadn't hunted at all into my life till I was 32, 33. Got invited by a friend to go on an antelope hunt in Wyoming. Mm. And I was like, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do that too. <laughs> you know? um, it, it is, it was an amazing experience. What I didn't realize, and this is, I got connected by NDA because I did my Deer Steward One course which is an amazing way to learn about deer and the basic hunting and deer biology behavior. And I went and did my deer steward too, which is more hands-on and you have the staff there and Dr. Craig Harper, who is a guy that knows every plant in the forest mm -hmm. and what deer like and don't like. Then what I realized is what most hunters on private land really are is my joke is they're just redneck gardening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're gardening with a four-wheeler and mm -hmm. some seeds yeah. and a chainsaw versus snippers <laughs> and a, mm -hmm. you know, and a rake. Know. And that's what I grew up watching my family do. And I had no idea the amount of time and effort and money they were putting into this for me to go sit with them on Thanksgiving yeah. and watch some deer run around, right? And, mm -hmm. and again, it's circling back. Like that was affecting so much more ecosystem than I even realized. For years, we rabbit hunted the Friday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. And a lot of people would hunt rabbit hunt after Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's traditional. Mm -hmm. Good way to walk off some calories. Oh yeah, yeah every well. Thanksgiving morning until lunchtime, we'd be out in the woods somewhere. So going through what you've gone through and, and working with this, you know, all those interviews you did, what do you guys kind of think the, um, you know, that the challenge is getting more people into hunting, right? Or getting more people to understand conservation and get them into hunting or just get them involved in conservation that way, right? It doesn't have to be hunting. Um, what do you think the, the movement is or the, the strategy that could be successful is that's coming up, right? That, mm -hmm that could be leveraged to, to, to make that work. Like for me, in my mind, it's kind of the, uh, um, what's the, it's, it's the, the food aspect of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not the, the farm raised and the store bought, it's knowing where your food came from. It's your food, you know, like a, a first time hunter told me a few years ago, you know, she almost was on the brink of going vegetarian vegan just because of the uh, quality of life aspect. So I was that prior to hunting. That was you. Mm -hmm. Well, so you probably understand, but she was, she was, you know, concerned with the quality of life of the animals. Cause I mean, you know, there is that if you, if you're concerned with it. And then she got to thinking about it, she could still eat meat and not, you know, the deer have a great quality of life. They're basically free animals. She quote, the quote would be live under the stars, eat what they want, go where they want. And, you know, so she got into hunting because she would prefer to, to, to source her meat that way versus farm raised. So I, in my mind, that that might be the big ticket, right? Like that's how we convert people in the future and get them interested is through the ethics of, of you know, the meat, where it comes from. So do you guys have any thoughts on that? I think the that? research kind of shows there's stages, right? There is maybe 10 to 20%, depending on how you measure it, mm -hmm. of the public that is anti-hunting. Mm -hmm. For could, could be different reasons and that metric 
will bounce it down, but it, it's roughly there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could plan 10%. Th then you have, you know, this swath that is, you know, another, <laughs> call it, you know, maybe 60, 70% that are like, eh, hunt neutral. Maybe they've had venison. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not against it. Mm -hmm. Like, they know someone who hunts. Maybe their family did it. They don't. They don't really know. Yeah. But that's who this film was for. Yeah. Is those people. Now then you have, and this is where I think your piece comes in. You have another ten percent before you get to the ten percent of hunters, mm -hmm. and those are the people that I call like conservation curious. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the I think the thing that puts them over is exactly what you said. It's the food piece mm -hmm. because it's so um, tangible. Mm -hmm. It it makes sense like yeah if i'm gonna eat meat if i'm gonna source my protein mm -hmm. this is a great way to do it mm -hmm. um and when you come into it from that perspective it allows you to feel like you are honoring the thing you're killing mm -hmm. if the killing is the part that is giving you the hardest time mm -hmm. by eating it. And I had a, a friend of mine uh, recently who asked like, why, why are you so into hunting? And I had to think about it. But when I thought about it, as a hunter, why am I into hunting? And look, things with big antlers are really cool. Uh, but what I really like to do is I like to give my friends and family like the meat that I got. Mm -hmm. And when they're eating it, like tell the story of where it came from and what we did and like, that is the thing I like most at the end of the day is that part. That's, that's a good point. I think you kind of change too as you go through it. Like I th definitely think that when I first got into hunting, of course I was, you know, we're talking about a middle school kid here. Middle schoolers care about different things than, you know, college mm -hmm. students and adults and people later in life. But man, I was probably all about the hammers. You know, I was just daydreaming about big bucks. And then now I find myself more over the past few years wanting to take more does because dang it, I just want some deer meat, you know? Mm -hmm. And now to your point, I found myself my grandparents were love to fish, but they're getting to the age now where they, it's harder for them to go out and do it themselves. So I've been taking them fish that I've caught, you know, mm -hmm. cleaning it and vacuum sealing it, nice, nice package. And I've enjoyed the heck out of that. Mm -hmm. So maybe this, this fall, I'll take them some, some venison. You know? yeah. If you come into it as a kid, you come into it young. Mm -hmm. I think the, the antler chasing piece, mm -hmm. and by the way, I think in the research, like trophy hunting is a big turnoff to people because mm -hmm. they don't actually realize, I think there's a perception in a, you know, in a, like an urbanized public that doesn't really know anybody who hunts that you just like, I guess, cut off the deer's head and leave the restaurant, mm -hmm. which is not what happens yeah. Yeah. period at all. Like that's illegal to do. Mm. Um, I think when you start and you, you start hunting young, you get really interested into the to the antler aspect, mm -hmm. big cool bucks. Mm -hmm. I think what brings people in later in life isn't the antlers, it's the food, mm -hmm. and then they end up into the antlers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also at that point in my life, you know, I was, it's TV. I remember sitting back and watching Monster Bucks, you know, with Michael Waddell mm -hmm. and they, all their showing's huge, but it's called Monster Bucks. So, I mean, that's the name of it, right? I, I'm not sure. I think, it didn't say Basket Bucks. <laughs> yeah. It was Monster Bucks. Spikes. I, I think if you went back 200 years ago, mm -hmm. and, I, you know, maybe somebody knows history better will say Lee, it wrong. Lee might know Like, it. if you went back 200 years ago, 300 years ago, and I know the fur trappers wanted furs, mm -hmm. and it didn't matter what it came off of, but they had two things standing in front of them, and one was a 
a little buck and one was a big buck, mm -hmm. they would shoot the big buck mm -hmm. because the antlers yeah. are, I think they're just something inherently beautiful and interesting about antlers that draws people to them. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, TV kind of pushes yeah. things one way or another, but I, I think there may be something just like ingrained in our mind or soul about mm -hmm. antlers. I don't know what it is. Maybe but it's like, scarcity. Mm -hmm. maybe, yeah, know, maybe it is. I've seen, uh, I've seen small bucks before, you know, like, I've <laughs> yeah. seen, you know, maybe, maybe it's a scarcity. Even the Native Americans back in the day were like, well, I can get one of those any day, but one of those, you know, that's mm -hmm. tougher. So, I don't know. That's a, that's a good thought. Well, you got the Salado Center down here, and there's that wall of antlers. I think it follows the mm -hmm. buck that's through his true. age progression. Yeah. But you can see antlers all day long, but it's still interesting to look at antlers. I do like. enjoy that. Yeah, that, that honestly is one of my favorite. That little, is. It's cool. Is that? Have you been to Slato t like recently? Uh, I was there a year ago for okay. interviewing Gabe for the film. So you, Gabe Jenkins. Yeah. So you you remember because that that exhibit's actually gone right now. I was thinking that's good good memory because they're doing construction well, in that part. Right we now. we also did a little bit of recording at the uh, Bass Pro Shops. Gosh, what's it called? The um, their Natural History Museum. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'll think of it. So where all did you have to go to get, so you got interviews here at Slido with Gabe Jenkins, and I also remember our commissioner, Rich Storm, is, mm -hmm. in, is in the film. I believe that Rich and Gabe are the only two Kentucky, um, you know, of our, our colleagues mm -hmm. here that are represented in the film. <laughs> Jack, you want to start naming locations? Yeah, I was uh, curious. So was, was it over in Springfield, Missouri? Is yeah, it? It, what I was going to say is they have this, it, it, one is, it's a Taj Mahal for wildlife and conservation. It is amazing. If you hunt or fish, you should go there and see it. But they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like the most amazing mounts you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And you can't stop looking at them, even though you're surrounded by them. That's what I was going to say. There's just something about it. I remember. I went there one time, I remember, when I was a kid. And we stayed at a hotel that was close by, like across the parking lot or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were there for three or four days, and I walked over every day just by myself to walk around. I'm glad there's not one near my house, because <laughs> I would be living in a tent. That's Wonders of Wildlife, <laughs> the name of it. Right? Wonders of Wildlife. Yeah. It's museum and Aquarium. Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the, very, the yeah. ads for yeah. that stuff. I mean, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Louisiana. Louisiana, Bozeman in Montana. Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, incorporating the whole southeast there, so. Hey, it's in the name. You were talking mm -hmm. about trophy hunting a second ago, and before the podcast today, I was doing a little bit of research. I do occasionally. And so I got on the NDA's website, you know. I did too. It's probably not a bad idea to plug that a little bit, you know, even though Kip couldn't make it. But they have a very clear, like on their website, which I'm not going to pull Some it up Some good right instructional now. videos on there too, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for people on, just getting into it. On their homepage, one of the tabs was basically our stance on mm -hmm. the, and you mm -hmm. can click it. And it would, you know, had a drop-down list of basically all these different, maybe some of them were controversial, some of them not, in hunting. And you can click on it and it'll show their organization's stance on that, you know. So um, trophy hunting or high fence hunting was, was one of them. You could get on there and you can literally see what NDA is all about mm -hmm. just by clicking on there and seeing what they support, what they don't support. Mm -hmm. and what I, I really like the transparency of how that was set up on their mm -hmm. website. And you can get on their uh, <clears throat> website and learn more about NDA, what the mission is. 
and uh, you know, kind of how they work to achieve that mission. You can do the same thing with your all's website, Strategic Digital Services. I got yeah. on there and poked around a little bit before. You got a whole outdoors page that kind of shows your which hasn't and... been updated yeah, in a while. I, like wildtailmovie.com for this one is the one. Wild but, yeah, our our company's what you know. We do a lot of marketing and film production, but I always joke it's a cobbler's children has no shoes type mm -hmm. of scenario. Yeah. Ours is always the last thing we get around to <laughs> working to on everybody fixing. else's. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, NDA is, I've, I've been a member for five years. When I was learning to hunt, it was the place I went to to get information. The Deer Steward One course is uh, fantastic. It is maybe the m most concise, like, if you wanted to learn about wild-tailed deer and you want to put in a little, or white-tailed deer and you want to put in a little time, their deer steward courses are amazing. And just recently, they went to a free membership model. So you can just sign up and you'll get their email newsletter. You'll get uh, access to all the content on the website. The content on the website is fantastic for learning anything about mm -hmm. uh, how to start a food plot, mm -hmm. how to select plot seed, how to position a deer stand, what colors of the color spectrum did deer see in. Um, no, that's interesting. It's a, it's a very mm -hmm. knowledgeable group of people who are receptive to conversation. If you've, you know, want to talk over anything, like they've been really, I've been blown away at how good a partner they've been throughout this and how engaged they've been and how much they genuinely care about getting not just their messaging out, but the right messaging mm -hmm. um, and, and making sure that they're communicating the things that hey, you're Jennifer. communicating. Yeah, yeah I know Jennifer really well. That's one mm -hmm. thing that I've always said, you know, you were talking about NDA there, mm -hmm. <laughs> but just conservation organizations mm -hmm. in general, I feel the same about working here. Most, most of the people who work for conservation organizations, especially one like NDA, who's a private, um, or a 5013C, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. um, is that you get people who want to be there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, I feel like some state agencies probably get people who needed a just need a job, you know, and they found a job there. But with Fish and Wildlife, I really do feel like it's people who have more of a common interest, you know, mm -hmm. who, who yeah. share, share some interest and things together. I think it makes it a great place to work. From the outside looking in, we've seen that too. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's the same thing probably happens when you work at a, you know, a, a golf course. I don't think most people are... <laughs> I, like... <laughs> you, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're, like... This isn't just me talking up the uh, talk in the book here, so to speak. Yeah. I've been very fortunate at Jacksonville. We've worked with a lot of organizations yes. across a breadth of industries, uh, a lot of public sector, a lot of nonprofit, and a decent amount of corporate. Mm -hmm. by, by far and away, the best to work with have been what we found in the, in the conservation world. Passionate people, you think? P passion of the people average knowledgeability of, of the folks involved, mm -hmm. um, interest in, in new things or what could work. Now, I would say most conservation organizations, rightly, are conservative about trying new things, so they're trying to balance a lot of stakeholder interest. Mm -hmm. But general, like, and the um, ability, once they make a decision, to move relatively quickly mm -hmm. has been great. It is, like, as far as our experience has been, like, I, I don't think we could have done a similar project in a different vertical mm -hmm. in the same amount of time. I think it could have been done. Mm -hmm. It just would have taken the year to produce and then another year to get through the editing process. Because one of the things about this project is we have essentially 
you know, 13 producers of the film, 13 funders, the state wildlife management agencies, all of whom have a say over the content in the mm, film. That's tough. So mm -hmm. it would have been very easy mm -hmm. for them just to cut, cut, cut until mm -hmm. the film was not much more than a commercial. Yeah. And to everyone's credit, they, they allowed content to remain in there that I think is interesting, true, maybe a little maybe a little edgy in some cases mm -hmm. but they let the story be told they let it they let it work through mm -hmm. and i think because of that the product is is entertaining and informative and not just informative yeah that that's that's tough um you know people who don't work with video it might be hard to understand even working with print lee mm -hmm. you know right in the magazine he, he knows that too many hands in the Oh, cookie jar can be pretty dang tough. Oh. You know? And yeah. then it reads like, oh, why is this read schizophrenic? Oh, yeah. because you had too <laughs> damn many people involved. Yeah. Yeah. But no, knowing that you guys were able to get good buy-in and good cooperation from all the states is nice. I actually just saw that list of states. I went to wildtailmovie.com, the website here. I hadn't been to this website yet. I'd been getting like mm -hmm. communications through. Mm -hmm. um, so I, this is my first time checking it out. But it looks like right here at the top says Wildtail, America's Wildest Conservation Success Story. It's pretty easy to know you're on the right page when you get here. Mm -hmm. You got the trailer <clears throat> that you can watch right from YouTube and then where to watch the sponsors. And it has all the states listed. It's like a logos for, there's Kentucky right there. Mm -hmm. And over here we got Tennessee, Mississippi. So it's basically just a series of logos <laughs> for all the states, right? When I see all that, all the conferences, I'm like, I got a cup that's South Carolina. <laughs> I've got a <laughs> shotgun case that's Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it. I'm starting to collect my own now as you do for me. Every time, shout out to Missouri for that, that uh, triangle logo, you know, mm -hmm. with the raccoon. It does seem, mm. No, you like that one? I mean, it's different. Actually, we need to update that one. I got it. This one? The, uh, yeah, that it? one is not there. Uh, the, it's a, There's a version with words around each side of the triangle. Oh, yeah. So right. we need to update Well, the triangle's still there. So I, I was going to get on them. Cause it's they're, wild. I mean, their logo. Like, I'm looking at the logos, and all of them are fine, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like smallmouth in the middle. Of I think Florida is trying to copy ours a little mm -hmm. bit. You know, they got a bird, a deer, and a fish with the state. <laughs> so it's, it's just very similar to ours. I like Tennessee's. And I'm just sitting here, you know, logo peeping and looking at all these. George's is very basic, but I'm guessing that theirs is Department of Natural yeah, Resources. Yeah, they're combined. Yeah. Um, so it's different with a fish and wildlife agency versus a natural resource agency. But this one, the one that you said you liked, the triangle. Yeah, it speaks to me. Which state is that? I believe it's Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. yeah, that's Missouri. It yeah. is just a, looks like a, a trout riding a rat. Oh, no, uh, I think that's a smallmouth, bro. Smallmouth or big I think. Smallmouth riding the back of a raccoon. Mm -hmm. That that logo I think could oh, everybody it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but no, I was just sitting here judging them. But so you can go through and you can see all the partners. It gives you that map that you were talking about, the Southeast um, Deer Partnership. That is that did I say that correctly? Yeah, Southeast Deer Partnership. So mm -hmm. it shows you all the states that are listed. We are, you know, kind of the northernmost state, West Virginia and uh is that Missouri? Yep. Yeah, yep. Missouri, we go a little bit further north than us, but pretty much us and everybody to the south of us, you know, the, the borders us and all the way over to Texas and Oklahoma. So people can get on this website right now, watch the trailer. When will they be able to watch the film? 
October 27th is the release date and it'll be available wherever you rent or purchase your digital content. So for most people, it's going to be Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play. I would say so, yeah. yeah. And, those are and if you can't find it, feel free to reach out to us uh, via the website. On this website, yep. you want to cool. go to? Yeah, it's right here listed on uh, iTunes, uh, Amazon, Google Play, Microsoft. Is this Tubi and, and Hoopla? Hoopla yep. Now, is this the one that, this is a, a fairly new streaming service, right? And it's for schools. So no, it, Hoopla's for schools. Oh, yep. yeah, Hoopla, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but you're talking about Tubi, though. Oh, okay. Tubi. Yeah. So these are essentially like a version of uh, um, Sling or, you know, like a something, a streaming service like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually Tubi will be built into your smart television, we've we've okay. learned. So if you've got a smart TV, check out and see if Tubi's there. I think Tubi will be available um, in December of this year, not immediately at launch. So Very good. Yep. Well, I'm glad you guys made it to town. We'll go ahead and we can start wrapping this up. I'm looking forward to this evening. I'm going to... Go. You got anything, Lee? You want One to thing that it's been on my mind is um, a lot of what I hope the film does. I haven't been able to see it yet. I look forward to it. Um, but people don't realize most of the time when you go hunting, you fail. I think there's a perception from cartoons mm -hmm. and stuff that you just, you know, as soon as deer and you just blast, blast, blast. I mean, I've hunted a lot. I've failed the vast majority of the times. Mm -hmm. I have failed. I've come home with nothing. Um, really and, and that's, you know, I just, that perception of, of that you have such an unfair advantage and, you know, there's innocent Bambi walking along and you can walk out there and, you know, orange shirts. Sure you, 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 know? yeah. sure you haven't seen it yet? Yeah, well, I mean, just, You're it's really just, stepping on the toes of the film here, man. Well, that's all right. But <laughs> it starts it just, I mean, I just wish people would, if, if they went out and realized it, they were like, yeah. wow, this is like hard and, uh. It's easy to fail. What's the saying? It's that's why they call it fishing and not catching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? yeah. they deal. call it hunting and not killing. Yeah. My joke yeah. with people is like, those animals spend all day every day mm -hmm. avoiding predators and staying alive. Yeah. yeah, we go out a couple hours, a couple months a year maybe, mm -hmm. and like, you know, so they animals make mistakes. Sometimes they just don't care, and that happens, and we get lucky. But most of the time. Mm -hmm. They're really good at avoiding threats. That's mm -hmm. what they do all day, every yeah. day. <laughs> no, it's definitely not just walking out there and going to the, the meat aisle at the grocery store mm -hmm. and right. filling your cart, you know. Um, we, you remember a few podcasts ago, Lee? Um, we had Joe McDermott on, who's yeah. our deer biologist, and we were talking about this the golf tournament coming up. Mm -hmm. And he told me that the, his team name was the Bambi Bashers. <laughs> And um, so I'm. And yeah, then, he was talking smack. He didn't win. He kept saying they were going to win. No, he didn't. Well, he uh, and whenever he said that, I brought up the movie Bambi, and how you know you could look at that two ways. You could think of it as bashing deer, Bambi bashing, or bashing on the movie Bambi, mm -hmm. right? And I just watched uh, the preview or the a draft version of, mm -hmm. of, of Wild Tail before that. And so it clicked in my mind. It's like, no, I'm, I'm thinking the movie Bambi. Because it literally, when you were stepping all over the toes of the movie mm -hmm. when you brought that up. But it is, that's part of the pop culture. I mean, the film speaks on pop culture and how yeah. pop culture kind of frames hunting. And, and Bambi's a good example of that. And Steve Rinella, that's actually, during that podcast, I said that Steve Rinella had given a really good rundown of the movie Bambi. And it was actually from your all's film. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Steve did a really good job kind of positioning the movie Bambi and how it's impacted people's, you know, views of hunting, you know, ever since they were three and four years old. The only it. question we asked everybody yeah. is what do you think about Bambi? Yeah. Because when you th if you are a non-hunter yeah. and you think about hunting, yeah. and man, I can't tell you how many people have ever said to me, 
well, why do you want to go shoot Bambi? Yeah. Or why do you mm -hmm. want to go shoot Bambi's mom? Yeah. Uh, and so at the very first part of the film, we just kind of took that on. And then yeah. B Bambi is a horrible, horrible analogy yeah. to what hunting it, it is based on a, one is a, I think a fallow deer yeah. in Germany is what the book is mm -hmm. written about on like the, a European conception. It's just like so the, far off from what hunting is. is. Not, the hunter is actually hunting out of season in that film and is actually a poacher. Yeah. So it's not a hunter, it's yeah. not following any rules. They they are in fact the villain, but they would be a villain to us as well. Yeah. So to be clear. Yeah, the hunter should hate the hunter. Correct. Because mm -hmm. that hunter wasn't a hunter at all. Right, and yeah. also killed Bambi's mom, so. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> things, things happen, but you know, Bambi's out of season. Yeah. Hey, you bit, know what, Bambi's dad, unlike other white-tailed deer, Bambi's dad's still around the rest of the movie. I haven't <laughs> seen that for other white-tailed deer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that until the second watch. It's like Bambi's dad keeps popping up and giving Bambi advice, and I was like, I didn't know white-tailed deer, uh, deer, <laughs> deer bucks were that involved in their fond no. lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Disney there. That is surprising. I hadn't even thought about that. But no, that's where that, that thought came from where we with Joe was because I'd just seen this and the whole Bambi thing was stuck in my mind. That's a, that's a good point to the movie too. And I thought Steve did do a really good job mm -hmm. with that breakdown. So I, w I would suggest people watch this and really what you're trying to do is deliver the message of <coughs> conservation of a conservation success story mm -hmm. and the importance of whitetail deer to conservation as a whole mm -hmm. to an audience that includes people who hunt and then you also said that other 60%, the people who are kind of, you know, not into hunting, not against hunting, just those people who are kind of tone deaf to it, right? Yeah. Or, or just kind of straight down the middle, don't really know where they stand. That's your target audience. That's who you're trying to get yeah. the message My to. My hope is those people would watch the film and then after, like, what'd you learn? Yeah. Oh, hunting fun's a bunch of other stuff I like. Yeah. If mm -hmm. that was their takeaway, then yeah, we. Home run. Yeah. And by the way, our release date is not a coincidence right kind of in the dead smack in the middle of uh well we're right before our firearm season here in kentucky yeah. mm -hmm. but going into deer season and the holidays so there's a couple mm -hmm. opportunities to watch with friends and family yeah. uh that's our that's our goal for it is oh and for the uh price by the way every all of the funds generated from it go back to the southeast deer partnership good deal so yeah. so this is funding conservation in itself mm -hmm. yeah and it'll go to whatever the next venture of the partnership is going to be, which is up to the partners to decide, uh, hopefully early next year. Very cool. Very cool. Do you have anything else that you want to get there? Well, you know, and that's so important uh, to let people know the role that hunters play. You know, if you're a birder and all that, and you scornfully look down at a hunter, well, that WMA you go bird hunting uh, or bird watching at, that was paid for by people who do this. Yeah. You know, that wildlife refuge that you love to go and, and look at birds of prey or whatnot, that was paid for by people who do this. Yeah. So, you know, um, we pay the freight, but we get the scorn sometimes. I'm glad to see that get taken head on. Yeah, you know? no, that's good. And that's really what a, a great takeaway could be. Like, you know, I don't want to tell people what their takeaways are going to be from a movie they haven't watched yet, you know, but there, there are several good takeaways, and I would say that's probably one of them. And um, I think that people are probably going to leave it having a much better understanding of conservation and the restoration efforts and success. And you know hopefully I mean? be entertained for an yeah, hour, because no, if we don't entertain people... It doesn't we're, matter. We're not going to get them to watch it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did not... You know, I will tell you, when I watched the... Uh, not the premiere, I'll be watching that tonight, but when I watched it the, the first time, I did not find myself picking up my phone to, to look at the home screen and see if there were notifications. You know, like mm -hmm. I felt like I was 
I was very engaged with the film the whole time. And, you. you know, as, and yeah. I'm a deer hunter. I'm, I'm watching it, you know, and I'm a video person. So I'm watching it for, from different aspects. But I thought it was entertaining. I think it gets the job done. I think you guys did a good job. And the, I'm going to go watch it tonight. Lee, are you going tonight? No. Oh. I wasn't on the list, bro. I'm sorry. Well, um, yeah, I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can get you in. And then October the 27th, the prime time to be in the deer stand, if you ask me. I mean, that is just like literally, if you gave me the date. October is such a fantastic month. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah. Awesome. And, you know, people can take their wireless earbuds and pop them in and, and keep one ear open. I, I, if I'm listening to audio while I'm deer hunting, like if I'm watching a video on my phone, get there a couple hours early and want to watch like a YouTube video or something, I keep my left ear open and I typically put my earbud in my right ear. That's just a pro tip. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I think deer have learned that when you look at your phone, that's when they pop out. Yeah. I've had it happen to me a couple times. Look down it's by bad the phone, man. Look, you know, yeah. look up, and then I just freeze and hope they didn't see. Me. <laughs> well, I looked up. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a conservation officer, and he was talking about doing investigations, and he can, he's like, you know, you always ask people, you know, tell 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 me how it happened, tell me the story, and he said you can always tell when people are telling the truth. First, when they're lying, because when they're telling the truth, the story always starts off. Well, I was just looking at my phone. Yeah. But <laughs> looked up, and there it was. But, <laughs> so when somebody's lying, it's always going to be like that. You know. I was focused for hours. Yeah. They didn't move my eyes. <laughs> there may be no greater compliment in 2023 than I watched this with my undivided attention. Didn't, I didn't check look my at phone. my phone. You know, yeah. I mean, for real, though. No like doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's good. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by today. And, good uh, luck with your premiere tonight. I hope it goes so fantastic. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and all the rest of your premieres along the way. October 27th, wildtailmovie.com. People should get on there and, and check that out. Watch the trailer. And uh, like I said, I think you guys did a good job, and I appreciate you, you know, kind of bringing some attention to conservation because I think more of, of what you guys are doing here would just help in the long run. And that know. credit goes to the partners who put this together and funded it. Um, they're, they're the ones who are the put in the money, put put in the time yeah. to do that. So NDA Kentucky and NDA and all our other state partners. Yeah. We're all just honored to be a part of it. These state okay. partners come together, had a good idea, found you guys to help them implement that good idea. So kudos all around. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm glad Kentucky was able to be involved in it and looking forward to tonight. So thank you guys for, for stopping we'll by. And like I said, whitetailmovie.com, October 27th. Pre-order September 27th. We're coming up in no time. <laughs> Less than a week away. Thank you, guys. Thank you.